G'day, I'm Richard Morris from Canberra, Australia. In 2014, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. After taking the dietary advice of the Australian Diabetes Association, I became more diabetic. (laughs) I did some research which led me to the ketogenic diet. Spoiler alert, I reversed my type 2 diabetes by drastically reducing my carbohydrate intake and increasing my consumption of healthy fats. In 2016, I was determined to help my buddy Carl by showing him what I did and the science behind it. Hey man, that's me. I'm Carl Franklin from the United States. I also used to be type 2 diabetic. You know, I devoured all the information Richard sent me, and after a mutual friend went keto to address prostate cancer, I also went on the ketogenic diet. That was in February of 2016. By April, I was in full swing reversing my diabetes. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't give medical advice. We're just a couple of dudes on the internet who reverse their diabetes by following a ketogenic diet. And we just want to share our experiences and what we know yep. about the science behind the keto diet. Yes, we started this podcast to chronicle Carl's journey and to provide some solid information to those curious about this dietary lifestyle. Yep. And now we have over 200 podcast episodes, some yep. of which have been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. Mm-hmm. Yep. (laughs) We moved our online community to the ketogenic forums, where tens of thousands of people share their experiences. We also founded an annual ketogenic festival called KetoFest. Carl and I are both software developers. As such, we found ourselves at software conferences several times a year. We tend to gravitate towards the conversations that happen in the hallways at conferences. Sure, the talks are great, but it's the community that we enjoy the most. So KetoFest is a conference to discuss the latest research of ketogenic diets, but it's also a festival celebrating the ketogenic lifestyle. And right now, you can put yourself on the mailing list to be notified about KetoFest 2022. We're doing it again. (laughs) Yeah, what's wrong with us, which we plan to host in October 2022. Just go to KetoFest.com to add your name. So, Carl, what is a ketogenic diet? It's a diet where instead of burning sugar and starch for energy, our cells prefer to burn fat. That produces molecules called ketones that our bodies use for fuel. Right. Our primary molecular fuels are glucose, which we make from carbohydrates, and fatty acids, which we make from fat. Our cells have two modes. In one, they burn glucose and make fat. In the other, they burn fatty acids and make ketones. But you don't have to eat a high-fat diet to be ketogenic, right? Well, when you're starting out, you may have to, but then in a few weeks, as you become better adapted to burning fat for energy, when all of your calories are coming from fatty acids, the amount that you need to eat becomes coupled to satiety, which integrates not only the variable amount of energy that your body needs to run every day, but also the amount of fat that can be drawn down from storage. So how many carbs do we need to restrict ourselves to in order to get into that state? Well, that depends. Some of us who are quite metabolically disordered need to get below 20 grams a day. Someone who's quite metabolically flexible, however, can eat as much as 100 grams a day. How about other nutrients like protein, minerals, and essential cofactors like vitamins and essential fats? Well, you need from 1 to 1.5 grams of protein for every kilo of lean mass. And beyond that, you just waste excess by turning it into energy instead of using fatty acids. As for other essential nutrients, if you're eating fatty meats or eggs uh, plus leafy green vegetables, you'll get most of those because those organisms that made those foods have already concentrated essential cofactors. Ketogenic diets are varied and delicious. Mm. They can be vegetarian or carnivore, home-cooked or takeout. Hot cuisine. 
Oh, it's cuisine. <laughs> Never gets old. Or just bacon and eggs. <laughs> Male. <laughs> as long as your carbohydrates are low enough. If you're an absolute beginner, check out our Starting Keto podcast for more information at start.2keto.com. So, Richard, how have you been? How was your week? Uh, it's a pretty quiet week. We're getting ready for the cricket season. It's about to start uh, next week. Um, we're uh, in Canberra. We're 97.5% fully vaccinated um, uh, against COVID, and we've got four new cases today among 1,700 negative tests. Guess what? There's a 97.5% chance that these uh, new four people were also fully vaccinated. Isn't wow. that surprising? <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Well, of course they are because it's the, the population is 97.5% vaccinated. So there's a good chance that there's a lot of people who, I mean, we're going to get to the point now when everybody who's carrying this thing, there won't be a lot of people, but everybody who's carrying it will have been fully vaccinated. Yeah. But, you know, we've got almost nobody in the ICU anymore. So, And, in yeah. fact, I think our ICUs, um, the total people who, there was 100% of the people who had to go to ICU with uh, severe disease uh, were unvaccinated. So, you know. Yeah, it's, and uh, it's, it's it's very close it's in the U.S. too. Mm. So like 98% or something? Yeah, 98%. Mm. Yeah, so Richard and I were talking about this, how, you know, some people seem to be losing their mind out there. Um, the the anti-vax sentiment is hitting a fever pitch. And a lot of people, even those that we respect um, or used to respect, I guess, uh, are, are falling for it. And... We, you know, sometimes look at this and say, what are we missing here? I mean, yeah, we, we're exactly we, we thought uh, science ruled mm. and um, it, it's kind of disappointing to see. To see this happening. Yeah, it's become clear to me that uh, that some people in this world are just contrarian. They they just don't trust anything they hear. Mm. And it's possible for contrarians to be right about one thing and wrong about another. And so, um, you know, it's uh, a contrarian mindset isn't necessarily a useful thing to have. A questioning mindset is. Somebody who questions everything and looks Especially your own beliefs. Absolutely. I mean, I treasure quite deeply those people who believe in things different than me because they give me a window into their fellow travelers that I wouldn't have access to. So, you mm. know, I, I, I quite like, um, you know, I have certain formed views and I don't need converts to, to, uh, to buttress my own views because, uh, you know, I, I've, I've established them over many years, but, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy spending time around people who don't believe the same thing that I do necessarily to be able right. to see what is it that they're seeing and, and how does that shape their worldview. So, Unfortunately, um, sometimes the arguments don't hold water. Yeah. yeah that's that's well, what we're finding that's true. here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so how was your week, Carl? Well, it, it was pretty good. But before we get off the, the subject of vaccinations, I just want to, uh, you know, we're probably going to get a lot of hate mail about this and, yeah. and we just don't, don't care. care. <laughs> We have a stake in the ground and it's called science. Yeah. And we're not budging. So, uh, you know, you can put us in camp A or camp B. It doesn't matter. We're, we, we're, we're all about science. And if science comes around and proves that ivermectin can, 
you know, uh, isn't dangerous at those high yeah. doses, for example, and right. it can cure you, uh, great, but they will you know, over it. Yeah. But, you know, people microdosing with ivermectin and then getting better is doesn't mean that the ivermectin cured their COVID. It doesn't. Right. It, no. It, yeah. So the only I looked into I looked into some of the ivermectin stuff and 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 the two mecha- mechanistic studies I looked at one was able to show in green monkey kidney cells on a, in a petri dish that it it was able to inhibit viral replication mm. at dosages or concentrations of uh, uh, five micromoles. Yeah. Um, well, the, you know the the, the 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 if you give somebody um, a, a the regular, the recommended dose, the FDA recommended dose for for treating parasites of ivermectin, um, their levels won't get within uh, one one sixtieth of that. Um, yeah. So you know, and then then the other study that showed that uh, that ivermectin inhibits uh, the three uh, um, CL proteases, um, that was fifty fifty uh, micromoles. So you know that's that's. You know, uh, sixteen hundred times the dose that you would get, that that you generally treat people for parasites, and so, I mean, you know, if if uh, we know for a fact that alcohol c- kills the virus because right. otherwise <laughs> hand cleanser wouldn't work, I mean, yeah, that stuff sanitizer. is sixty percent ethanol, so right. that's how it works. It's sixty percent ethanol. So you know, if you can get your blood up to sixty percent uh, ethanol by volume, <laughs> then you'll you'll kill. You'll kill uh, the virus, but you know, you'll kill yourself because I mean you pass out at point three percent and you right. die at five point five percent. So um, you know it's uh, it, the the dose makes the poison, right? Anyway. Well, I you know the other thing is um, what I chose for the two KD classic is Tom Naughton, and mm. you know we're all about you know chiding the government on you know how it got all this stuff wrong, so. In this, in the case of, you know, the ketogenic diet and the food pyramid and the USDA guidelines for eating, yeah, they got that wrong. And it looks like it was manipulated, um, deliberately in order to, you know, boost the grain business. Who, who knows? Sure. But, but the fact mm. of the matter is, yeah, they got that wrong. So how can you trust the government? Well, so if you want to take that approach and believe that it was, uh, a deliberate, um, move on the government's part to have everybody eating more grains and therefore boost the economy. That's great. But the government didn't want to kill people, you no. know, without people <laughs> they didn't think to they pay, were killing people. They didn't think I mean, they, they were had, killing people. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, the thing is that the, it, well, science without, is not I just easy. want to say without people, yeah. there's no taxes. So well, that's it. Yeah. We want people to live. So the yeah. government is, you know, funded these vaccines because they want their citizens to live, not because and, they yeah. wanted to kill off the people they don't like. <laughs> right. That's crazy. It is. It is absolutely. I mean, there's the thing about um, uh, the the dietary guidelines is that uh, nutritional studies are really difficult to do. They take it's almost impossible to control for human behavior, mm. and you really have to do them for eighty years to be able to see what you know the the you know how, whether something's healthy or not. And so that that kind of study, we we have to take shortcuts to do these things, and the shortcuts mean that that our confidence le- interval uh, in the information that returns is uh, is um, you know we don't have a very high confidence in the in, right. in the results. And so you know on, with the best of intentions, the USDA has 
has basically promulgated a, a dietary guidelines um, that are incorrect. And we there there are enough small studies that show that a ketogenic diet is extremely valuable for treating type two diabetes. For right. example, the I mean the Verda study, for example, fifty three point five percent were able to reverse their type two diabetes on a ketogenic diet. Eric Westman's studies. Eric Westman's studies, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah. Stephen Finney's studies. You know, so that contravenes the received wisdom of the dietary guidelines. It's, mm. it, you know, it's possible to follow the science to both a ketogenic diet for treating type two diabetes and an mRNA vaccine to prevent yourself from getting in into uh, serious trouble with COVID. So, mm. yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. both of those. We followed the science on both of those. So. All right, enough of that. Uh, you asked me how my week was. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we've made plenty yeah. of enemies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we've forced our listeners into one of two camps. Great. Awesome. <laughs> uh, all that we ask is that you follow the science and stay open minded. Um, all right. So, so how was your week, Carl? My week was pretty good. Uh, last night I smoked a pork chop. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like Mr. Sous vide. But, mm -hmm. you know, in this case, I didn't want to do that with a, with a pork chop. So I brined the pork chop overnight and then uh, put it on the smoker with a rub at a really low temperature. So it had right. a, a chance to really get some smoke on it. And until the internal temp of the pork chop reached 130 Fahrenheit. Right. And then I brought it in and seared it in butter, let it rest. And it was delicious. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the night before that and the previous night, uh, my dinner consisted of keto chow chicken soup. Oh, nice. Yeah. So rather than making it with water, I made it with chicken stock and I added mushrooms and bits of chicken into it. And it's like a cream of chicken soup, but mm -hmm. it has... All the fat and all the nutrients that you get from stuff like keto chow. It was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how's that going for you? I'll tell you what. It's really great, you know, uh, if you're if you're in a rush and you don't have time to shop and make dinner, um, you know, in the past, that would be, you know, call for takeout or delivery or whatever. But no, it's uh I can I can have keto chow and I can be satisfied and and it's uh it's really great for that. Yeah, so it's been awesome. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. It's really helping. All right. So that brings us squarely to the segment we call I started right. singing it now. All right, male, male. I'm turning into a uh, a bird, apparently, a crow or something. <laughs> so, so, what you got for us, Kyle? This is a very short and sweet review on iTunes, and it is from November 29th. Mm -hmm. That's uh, recent. Yeah, and it's a five star review, as most of them are. And it's simply, love everything about this show, especially the science explained by Richard. Keep it up, oh, dudes. Thank you. thank you. Yes. We will. Yes, Richard. <laughs> we'll do exactly that. Yeah. And awesome. uh, we really do appreciate those reviews uh, on iTunes because yeah. that in particular, you know, that platform 
is a way that we can get more listeners if there's more uh, if there's a constant stream of five star reviews. We'll, we'll, yeah, what's just... important for us is to get to new type two diabetics, and exactly, and, you know, that, that that's really the only reason we're doing the show is that. Uh, uh, you know, the universe is creating diabe- di- new diabetics at a, at a linear and very frightening rate. And so yeah. um, our our goal here is to get to as many type 2 diabetics to let them know that it's possible to reverse your disease. You may not cure your disease. You may not even remiss your disease, but you won't get any worse and you'll hopefully get a little bit better. And it's delicious and it's easy. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, you're going to lose some weight and uh, you're going to feel awesome. You're going to have energy that you haven't had while you're a type 2 diabetic and uh, uh, it's, everything's good. So, yeah, yeah. it's just a, a little note of uh, hope for people out there. And, and we're grateful that people uh, leave us reviews. doesn't matter if you leave us a one-star review. Right. It'll still – you know, it'll work on the the, the algorithm that, uh, that gets the podcast out to new people. So thank yeah. you for that. Excellent. All right, well, let's get to our classic content here. This is from episode 30, Tom Naughton, Fathead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I chose this one because, you know, we've been, we've been doing a lot of heavy stuff recently, and I, it's holiday season. I need a laugh, and I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Tom. He's a funny Tom. guy. Well, he's a professional comedian, so of course he's a funny guy. Right, yeah, he is a funny guy. Uh, we had interviewed him after this one to catch up with him. But I thought this was great because, uh, this we is talked the first to, time we'd met him. First yeah. time we met him, we talked about Fathead, the movie that he made, which I definitely think you should watch. Actually, you should watch, uh, supersize me and then Fathead. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> they're bookends. <laughs> they're bookends. Fathead yeah. is in direct response to supersize me. So, um, and I also love the McDonald's quiz that we gave Tom. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, take a little trip down memory lane and listen to that interview from episode 30. Well, we'd like to welcome to Two Keto Dudes today, uh, the star, the creator of the movie Fathead, Tom Naughton. Hi, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. And where are you in this world right now? I am in Franklin, Tennessee, which is, oh, 15, 20 miles south of Nashville. Okay. I'm out here in a rural area on a, living on a little hobby farm, and uh, I'm looking outside right now, and it's beautiful. That's awesome. Did your life change significantly after that movie came out? Yeah, it did. Uh, about the time it was coming out, we decided to leave California, which is uh, where I was living when I shot it, as you've, you've probably noticed, the mm-hmm. street interviews and in Hollywood and whatnot. Right. And it was – it actually, we didn't move because of anything in Fathead. We moved because my daughter had started kindergarten, and suddenly I was facing the, the reality of raising a kid in Los Angeles and yeah. thought, wow, I, I really think I don't want to do this. So we left. Yeah. You mentioned this, I, maybe it was just in the director's cut, but you, at the end of Fathead, you said how you had moved and, you know, went to a farm and just started, you know, growing food and, and all of that. And that's, this is where you are now. That's where I am now. When we first left California, we moved, uh, we moved here to Franklin, Tennessee. We rented uh, a house at first. So I was thinking, well, okay, I guess I'm going to do the suburban dad thing. 
And then my wife, and keep in mind, she was a, a city kid. She grew up just outside of Chicago. After we'd gotten there for a while, my wife said, I think I want land. I think I'd like to have chickens and gardens. And okay, let's give that a shot. So we bought this place and here we are. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I uh, did something similar about 10 years ago. I was uh, I was working on Wall Street doing credit risk analytics and I was – we went through September 11 and I thought, I need to get away from this life of mine. <laughs> I went moved back to Australia where I'm originally from and I uh, bought a, a property on the beach pretty much so that I could spend most of my time on the beach and just learned how to garden, learned how to do carpentry, uh, decided programming was not for me and it took me about 10 years uh, before I decided, you now, you know, I really love programming. There's a reason why I got into it in the first place. So I've, I've come back to do that and moved, moved back to the big smoke, which is, uh, Canberra, capital city of Australia. But yeah, so I did, I, I spent 10 years on the beach, uh, uh, having a wonderful life, learning how to cook, learning how to grow my own food. And, and we never had chickens, but we, we did get dogs. So that's the start. Well, I hope you didn't eat the dogs. <laughs> no, not so far. Oh, okay. Good. Well, I, mean, I, I, I'm still a programmer for a living, um, but I've really had to learn to do things I not only didn't know, you know things I didn't think I ever would want to know. I've gotten uh, to be quite adept with tools and such. Before we moved here, my tool collection looked very much like my dad's, meaning it was a screwdriver, a wrench, and a hammer. And uh, now I'm getting quite familiar with all the farm equipment and actually just loving it. I, I love going outside and working hard and getting hot and sweaty more than I ever thought I would. Mm. Yeah. What is it about engineers and maybe programmers are just a small section of engineers, but it seems like it's the engineers that are looking at the problems that we've had with our health here uh, in the Western world. And are the the first ones to say, you know, this is wrong. If anything is wrong in the engineering world, you fix it. You do an analysis and you fix it. And yet there seems to be less and less interest, or maybe there is more now, but there seems to be less interest on the part of the prof medical professionals to do this kind of work. What's up with that? I was, well, let me put it this way. I was very disappointed while I was making Fathead and educating myself on this stuff to realize how many doctors don't think like engineers. You know, we, I guess if you don't know better, you kind of think of doctors are somewhat in the same class as scientists. Yeah. And it really became obvious to me while doing research and discussing this stuff with doctors who do think like engineers, that an awful lot of doctors are just trained to look at your symptom and prescribe the drug yeah, or the surgery. Mm. I think to answer your question, I think maybe the reason you're seeing a lot of engineers um, kind of running ahead of where the medical profession should be on this, as an engineer, when something goes wrong, you don't patch it. You try to figure out what's causing it. Right. If I'm writing software and I'm getting a bad result at, at the end of a program, I don't write more code to switch that result to what I wanted it to be. <laughs> I go all the way back and try to figure out what's causing this bad result in the right. first place. And I think a lot of people with a who are either engineers or have an engineer's mindset are more likely to say, wait a minute, 
why is my blood sugar high? Not here's your metformin to knock it down. Right. And a free license to eat your banana cream pie or whatever it else is that you continue to. Right. Right. Eat. Yes. Yeah. Eat your sugar, then take your drug. Right. <laughs> well, it's an, it's a great movie and I watched it in the middle of a, a media binge that I went on a couple of weeks ago. I decided to go out and find all the low carb, high fat or nutrition, you know, movies that were, that people were suggesting. And I watched Supersize Me of course, was one of the first ones. And then I watched Fathead afterwards. And I thought super, I got kind of sucked in by Super Size Me. I was like, yeah, those, those jerks and, you know, they're pushing all this stuff. And, and of course, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, you know, like you said in Fathead, nobody's holding a gun to your head, making you buy the fries. And you demonstrated that in such a funny way, uh, had me rolling in stitches. But, but I, but the thing that really got me when I was watching Supersize Me was the general practitioner who said, you know, you got to stop this diet. If I saw these liver numbers from an alcoholic, I'd understand. But I never thought, and this was a quote, I never thought I would see these numbers come from a high fat diet. Yep. And that just made me irate. And there's what's wrong with the medical profession right there. Yeah. The, here's a doctor who is supposed to be trained in this stuff, who thinks the fatty liver is coming from fat. Right. It's the sugar. Yes. It's fructose that makes for a fatty liver. And right there, uh, when Dr. Reeds, uh, when I interviewed him for Fathead, he was just outraged by that. You know, he's saying, how can a guy go to medical school and not know a fatty liver is caused by excess sugar? Yep. And he obviously knew what bad liver numbers were, so he knew that right. much. And then, right. but then I just took a good look at him as a physical being. He didn't look uh -huh. all that healthy either. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> one of the real pleasures in life after you make something like Fathead is to go to a doctor and keep in mind, I've lost weight, I've muscled up. Uh, you know, I'm not super lean and cut because that's not my body type, but mm. I'm, I'm in pretty good shape for a 57-year-old guy. Mm. One of the real pleasures is to go to a doctor who is clearly pasty, overweight, out of shape. And have him tell you you need to cut the fat out of your diet. Yeah, that's great. Because <laughs> your cholesterol's elevated at two oh five or something. Yeah. And it's it's one of those where you say, you know what, I'm not gonna say anything because this would turn into a four hour long debate. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and it's time to you either change your doctor or you change your doctor, right? <laughs> yeah, or or yes. <laughs> or you ignore your doctor. I mean, I, you know, this yeah. I get this question a lot from people. How do I convince my doctor insert thought here? Mm -hmm. And the answer I give is uh you won't because your average doctor, now there are exceptions, but your average doctor, you come in and say no, 215 is not high cholesterol, look right. at my HDL, whatever. The average doctor is going to think, oh, I've got some idiot who read some article on the internet who thinks he knows more than me. Exactly. And and they're going to have that attitude. I'm the one who went to medical school. You didn't. Um, yep. It's not worth starting that debate. You're not going to change their minds. And you don't want to completely tick off your doctor because you know what? Someday you may go in because you actually do have a condition that really truly does need treatment by a doctor with drugs. And you probably want this doctor to basically like you. Mm. So yeah. when, for example, my doctor tells me, oh, your cholesterol's a little high, uh, let's watch that. And in the meantime, cut down the fat in your diet, just nod your head and smile and then don't do it. 
Yeah, I had the, a, a similar problem. Not my current doctor. My current doctor is awesome, and she listens to this podcast. So, <laughs> but my previous my previous doctor, uh, my my cholesterol went over two hundred milligrams per deciliter, and that is apparently the arbitrary line at which point they start doling out the statins. And he basically put me on a statin, and I was pre diabetic at the time. And you can look back at at how my body reacted to that statin, my LDL went down nicely and everything else went to hell. Mm. Um, and my uh, my glucose went, I, I basically became uh, type 2 diabetic. I my, my triglycerides flew through the roof and my HDL plummeted, you know. So um, you can see basically what happened. Now, I at the time I said to the doctor, I'm not sure about this statin. And he said, I really think you should because of, where your LDL cholesterol was. And so I went on it even though against my better judgment. And I think I probably would still do that if if a doctor said to me, I think you should take something. Well, I'm going to assume that, that they have a good basis for doing that, but I'm going to I'm going to bring them in some science that disagrees, that supports my position. And mm. that's something that Carl did. Uh, he, he basically bought, bought printed out uh, studies, re- research studies, RCTs, and brought him into her his doctor and said, "Can you do you disagree with this?" And she said, "No, I have to agree with you." Yeah. So I, I think that I think you can engage your doctor, but you're right. You definitely want your doctor liking you when it comes time to to, to look after a serious ailment. Definitely, um, it, the, the statin thing drives me up the wall. Um, I have a relative. I'm not going to mention any names who had a stroke a while back. Um, he's type two diabetic as a result of the stroke, he's having memory issues and of course, muscle problems, trying to get back muscle function in the left side. Mm. Meanwhile, the doctor checks the cholesterol and says, oh, the cholesterol's high, puts him on a statin. Now we have a guy who is a type two diabetic. It's been demonstrated pretty conclusively that statins make diabetes worse. Yes. We have a guy who has already had muscle damage from a stroke. Statins cause muscle damage. Yeah. We have a guy who's having memory problems because of a stroke and statins cause memory problems. Right. He just put him on the worst possible drug for a man in his condition. Why? Because his numbers were somewhere over 200. It's insane. And the whole cholesterol heart disease link has been completely debunked now. Yeah. Completely yeah. debunked. It does not, it is not a marker for heart disease. Exactly. It's like saying um, you're, we have to move you to a different zip code because people in your zip code have more heart attacks. <laughs> yeah. Or there's too many firemen at a fire. So if exactly. we want to prevent fires, we got to kill all the firemen. Exactly. So I've got a question. Um, the the Australian guidelines are all basically made up from the US guidelines, and I think that the South African ones are as well, and the New Zealand ones and the English ones. It seems like most of the English-speaking world has uh, their dietary guidelines pretty much uh, handed down on stone from the US dietary guidelines. And I have a real question as, a, as an Australian, where did the US guidelines come from? How do we get them so wrong? As I often say to people, to err is human, but to screw up big time, you need politicians involved. (laughs) And the idea that fat causes heart disease, uh, that that was around and it had some momentum. Um, 
for those of you who haven't seen Fathead, the Reader's Digest version is that uh, there was this idea. It, it had actually been around for 100 years but uh, or for 50 years at the time. But a, a scientist named Ansel Keys really promoted the idea that heart disease is caused by eating too much fat, that it's the fat that raises the cholesterol and then the cholesterol builds up in your arteries and that causes heart disease. When that idea first came around and when he first started promoting it, it was almost uniformly rejected by the scientific community. Uh, but then over time, Keyes, who apparently had an extremely headstrong personality, managed to get himself on the board and eventually sort of take over the American Heart Association. Yep. They began promoting the idea somewhere in the 1960s um, that everything should be low fat. But even so, really, most people were not jumping on that bandwagon until the U.S. government, in a series of hearings um, led by George McGovern, decided it was time for them to step in and tell people what to eat. And what eventually came out of that were the U.S. dietary guidelines, which called for low fat, low cholesterol. And, and this is the part that blows my mind. Six to 11 servings of grains per day is the basis of your diet. Mm -hmm. Now, why the rest of the world decided to jump on that bandwagon, I don't know. I, I you know, would hope that at some point, follow all of you in Australia, yeah, follow the money. <laughs> all of you in Australia and elsewhere would, would learn um, there are certain times you really don't want to be like us. Yeah. <laughs> And that, that, you know, you, this is typical of what you do in Fathead. You know, it's like, I wonder why this happens. And then there's a little shot of you under a bridge somewhere going, follow the money. The money. <laughs> yes. But isn't it true, though? I mean, there's so much money to be made from grains and we were yes. booming agriculturally. And it just seemed like, oh, okay, our health, supposedly our health, uh, incentives align with our economic incentives. Let's just do a one, two punch and everybody wins. Well, and here's part of the irony of it. Um, as I read in Gary Taubes' book, Good Calories, Bad Calories, mm. the the uh, young know-it-alls on McGovern's staff assumed that when certain doctors and, well, quite a few doctors and researchers at the hearings tried to say, you've got it wrong. There's no evidence that it's fat that causes heart disease. There's no evidence that eating cholesterol causes heart disease. They just assumed that those researchers and, and uh, doctors had been bought off by the meat and dairy industries. Right. It never occurred to them that what they were about to recommend was a huge, beyond huge gift to the grain industry. Right. And if you really look um, and who the if you really look at who the powerful corporations are in America, it's grain. It's grain. It's Cargill. It's Archer Daniels Midland. General and this Mills. was a ginormous gift to them. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, um, I, I have a little surprise for you. But first, I just have to thank you for Fathead Pizza on behalf of everybody who listens to our podcast <laughs> and low carvers everywhere. That is the most brilliant thing ever invented. How did that happen? I am going to have to jump in and give my disclaimer here because people all over the, the world apparently are now calling it Fathead Pizza. Ladies and gentlemen, I did not create it. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it except posting it on my blog. Oh, That was a recipe that my uh, nephew discovered and tweaked ever so slightly. 
Yeah. And he emailed me and said, I made this. It's awesome. It tastes like real pizza crust. There's virtually no carbs. I said, great, let's post it on the, the blog. People love a good recipe. So right. I didn't even write the post. He wrote the <laughs> post. He took the pictures. He put it on the blog for me. And next thing I know, this thing's all over creation being called the fathead pizza. And people are like, Tom Norton's a genius with this fathead pizza. I had nothing to do with it. I just had my nephew post the recipe. And what's your nephew's name? Let's give him props. Uh, Eric. Shout out to Eric. Shout out to Eric. Maybe we'll call it Eric's Head Pizza. I actually, I actually made a variant of this by omitting the egg and cooking it on a pizza stone rather than a cold cookie sheet. And it, and I actually cooked it in a friend of mine's brick oven who has a pizzeria, and it turned out to be amazingly awesome, better than the original. And now there's a bunch of people sort of using that variant, but but I see variants of it everywhere. But the whole the basic recipe of cheese and almond flour is just amazing. I'm, I'm going to have to try that without the egg. Yeah. So, Tom Naughton, we have a little surprise for you. You became an expert in low-carb, high-fat living, and you also became sort of an expert in McDonald's because you ate there a lot. But we want to know how much you really know about McDonald's. So, we're giving you a little McDonald's quiz. Uh-oh, I feel like I'm on This Is Your Life. <laughs> Let's see how you do. There's 10 questions. The first one, the McDonald brothers originally got into the fast food business selling which tasty items? A, hamburgers, B, hot dogs, or C, milkshakes? I believe it was milkshakes. Hot dogs. Okay. <laughs> Long before the Big Mac, there was the McDog. Dick and Mac McDonald opened a hot dog stand in Arcadia, California in 1937. All right. So question two. Which has been on the McDonald's menu the longest? A, frozen fries, B, fillet of fish, or C, the Big Mac? I don't think it was the Big Mac because I'm pretty sure I'm old enough to remember when that came out. So I am going to say filet of fish Yes, the filet of fish has been hooking hungry customers since 1962. Cincinnati franchise owner Lou Groen invented it to appeal to Catholic clientele who abstained from eating meat on Fridays. And as a... Uh Young man who was raised Catholic, I believe I ate a few of those on I'm Fridays. I'm sure you did. Okay, here's one. Uh, what actor originally played Ronald McDonald? Is it A, Monty Hall, B, Wilford Brimley, or C, Willard Scott? Willard Scott. Yes, correct. Having previously performed as Bozo the Clown, Willard Scott was a shoe-in for Ronald McDonald. Okay, and the fourth question what anti-McDonald's publication did the company challenge in the famous McLibel case? A, anti-McDonald's pamphlets from Greenpeace, B, Fast Food Nation, or C, Supersize Me? I don't think they went after Supersize Me. And I know there were, they did have issues with Fast Food Nation. So what the heck? I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to say Greenpeace. Yes, correct. <laughs> Although McDonald's has paid out millions for coffee burns and beef-flavoured fries, it didn't back down in its libel suit against Greenpeace. The longest trial in England's history ruled in favour of the fast food giant. So the next question is, 
Which of the following McDonald's menu items is the most popular? A, Happy Meal, B, Egg McMuffin, or C, Chicken McNuggets? Chicken McNuggets. It's the Happy Meal. The Happy I Meal. They sold more Chicken McNuggets than anything. Well, maybe this is an old quiz, but the Happy Meal has become a dietary rite of passage for many kids across the globe. About 20% of all McDonald's orders are for Happy Meals. By the way, did you know that Happy Meals came with Fitbits in them that are now being removed? No. I just I just saw How this. How do you put a Fitbit in a Happy Meal? That's like a $100 watch. Yeah, I don't know if it was a Fitbit, but it was a, a fitness tracker. So this is a story that I read on WebMD which is irony in and of itself. McDonald's pulls fitness trackers from Happy Meals August 18th, 2016. Reports of skin irritations have led McDonald's to remove fitness trackers from Happy Meals. Quote, we have taken this swift and voluntary step after receiving limited reports of potential skin irritations that may be associated from wearing the band, company spokeswoman Terry Hickey said in the statement to CNN. Oh, okay. Yikes. I think they were accelerometer um, pedometers, so uh, uh, it doesn't doesn't take much to build one of those LCD screen. And yeah, some people have nickel allergies, which is, I don't mm. know, a weird thing. Can't wear watches or okay. whatever. I don't know. This is some pretty good advertising for McDonald's this quiz. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we, should to- we should totally uh, hit them up to sponsor the show. Oh, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. How- I got so many emails, uh, outraged emails from people who were absolutely convinced that McDonald's paid for paid me to make Fathead. Yeah. And here's the really fun part. I would occasionally, within the same email, get the following criticisms. McDonald's obviously paid you to do this. And later in the email, your production values look really cheap. <laughs> Put those two thoughts together, genius. Yeah, right. McDonald's gave <laughs> you millions of dollars to make a cheap-looking movie. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Incredible. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you number six. This question is: What McDonald's dud is now known as the McFlopper? And the answers are A. The McPizza. Uh, B, the Arch Deluxe, or C, the McLean Deluxe. I know the McLean was a was a the Edsel of fast food, <laughs> so I'm going to go with that. <laughs> Correct. Although all of these ventures failed miserably, the McLean Deluxe takes the cake. Er, bun, uh, comprised <laughs> of beef and seaweed, <laughs> the low-fat sandwich tasted about as bad as it sounds. Which is a Interesting that that failed so spectacularly. And by the way, so did Taco Bell's Border Lights menu, which was low fat. Yeah. Newsflash, people. Human beings are not supposed to live on low fat diets. When you try to eat low fat food and your brain says, bleh. (laughs) There's a reason. That's right. Exactly. All right. Question seven. If you're traveling abroad, what food might you find on an international McDonald's menu? A, lo mein. B, gazpacho, or C, sushi? Well, I did go to Europe for my vacation. Strangely, we never wandered into a McDonald's. Um, <laughs> Had enough so of that. So this is, this is just totally a guess. I'm going to say sushi. It's gazpacho. McSushi wow. could work, but gazpacho, made by PepsiCo, pops up on some menus in Spain. All right. I I picked sushi as well. I thought yeah. I thought for sure McSushi would have been a thing. 
Yeah, I got to admit, I like going to McDonald's uh, restaurants in, when I'm in Europe because uh, it's one of the few places where you know that you're not going to get charged to go to the toilet and you can sit down and you pay the same price for sitting down and eating their food as you do standing at the bar and eating their food. So, mm. uh, yeah, I quite like I quite like McDonald's, but, yeah, I toss the bun I, I when I have McDonald's these days. What's interesting, though, is you said in Fathead, I bet you think I'm going to eat salads, right? That's mm-hmm. how I'm going to do it. Well, this is a double quarter pounder with cheese and just took a big bite of it. So, yeah, I mean, even though there's high fructose corn syrup in the bun and there is obviously wheat, um, you were able to keep your carbs under 100 grams a day, which was really all about fries and sodas. Yeah, I was cutting the fries and sodas and I did have... Usually I would eat at least one hamburger bun a day, sometimes two. Yeah. Uh, occasionally I would look at where my carb count was for the day and, and say, well, okay, I'm going to have this double quarter pounder with cheese and I'm going to throw off the top bun or whatever. Right. But of course, nowadays, uh, this I made Fathead long before Wheat Belly came out. Yeah. And now I go to McDonald's or wherever. I don't actually go to McDonald's that often. But when I do, it's like, no, there's no half bun, yeah. one bun per day. It's just, uh, no, ixnay on the bun. I bring my own oopsie bread, which you know we make uh, from eggs and cream cheese. Right. And I bring those and I, I usually get, if I'm going to go to McDonald's, I'll get two triple cheeseburgers with extra cheese, throw the buns, put them together on Oopsie Bread. Now I've got this Dagwood kind of enormous <laughs> monster that I can barely finish. So uh, the next question is number eight. Uh, McDonald's committed a major cultural faux pas by offering what item? The first is the McWoman. The second is the McMuslim. And the third is the McAfrica. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Any one of these would be horrible. Yeah, they're all they're all bad. I guess then they rejected the uh, what the McJew, the McMick. Um, okay, uh, I have absolutely zero idea on that one. So let's just go with the McWoman. It's actually the McAfrica. Uh, the McAfrica sandwich was released in Norway in 2002 during an African famine. It consisted of beef, veggies, pita, and a heaping helping of controversy. Oh, my gosh. It's actually a true story that Burger King actually have an Australian burger or an Aussie burger uh, in Australia and a Kiwi burger in New Zealand, and they're identical. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, question nine. From 2003 to 2007, McDonald's purchased 59% more of which popular ingredient? A, chicken, B, lettuce, or C, potatoes? From 23 to 2007, 59% more of chicken, lettuce, or potatoes? Oh, let's let's just go with potatoes because of the uh, supersize price. Well, actually, it was chicken. <laughs> Why did the chicken cross the road to hop into a McDonald's fryer? Although they don't say whether it was chicken for McNuggets or chicken for salads. I'm kind of betting it was salads. Cause the is chicken in McNuggets? Rumor has it that there <laughs> there is some chicken in the chicken McNuggets. And uh, actually, they uh, they reformulated their, their recipe um, so that it's not... Itty bitty chicken parts mashed yeah. together. They actually use real chicken now. They're they're quite big on that. I'm sure you've noticed McDonald's and uh, a lot of other 
big food corporations are really responding to the whole real food paleo movement as best they can. Oh, sure they are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We have this thing in Australia in McDonald's restaurants where they try out new ideas before bringing them to the rest of the world. So the whole McCafe idea came in first in Australia where they have basically an espresso bar down one end of the McDonald's. Yeah. Um, but we, we have a new thing now where they have a giant touch screen and you can build your own burger and you can have a burger with no buns, with just lettuce. You can have, um, you know, three patties, three Angus patties. You can have no special sauce, just have mayo, three different kinds of cheeses, four different kinds of bacon and build yourself a, an absolutely awesome a burger. A McFrankenstein. Basically. So I don't know if that's it. I think they've got, they're bringing those in, in New York now. I don't know if they're moving to the rest of, of the US, but that is an outstanding way to order McDonald's. Oh, I would be dangerous at one of those things. <laughs> yeah. All the ingredients, I would just be, oh, yeah, bacon. Let's see, give me four servings of that. Right. Give me five <laughs> kinds of cheese. Uh, give me six burger patties. Yeah. I would walk out of there with a burger I could barely lift. <laughs> <laughs> well, I highly recommend it, I must say. So the last question is who was the original McDonald's mascot? And our options are A, Hot Dog Henry, B, Flippo, or C, Speedy. No idea, but since uh, Hot Dog was the correct answer earlier, I'll just jump in and say Hot Dog Henry. Yeah, I would have said the same, but unfortunately it's Speedy. The McDonald's brothers named their kitchen efficiency method the Speedy System, with a hamburger-headed chef as the mascot. Perhaps Hamburger knows of the late Speedy's whereabouts. <laughs> so what I what I get about fifty percent right? Yeah, I think you got uh, five out of ten. So that's 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 a passing grade. Yeah, <laughs> barely. And we'd like to thank money.howstuffworks.com for putting this quiz online. We'll add a link to it just so that you don't think we're ripping them off completely, <laughs> which we are. <laughs> Tom, before we say goodbye, uh, can you tell us what you're working on these days? Is there anything up and coming that we should be aware of? Sure. My wife and I are, I hope, nearing the end of producing a book uh, tentatively titled Fathead Kids, Stuff About Diet and Health I Wish I Knew When I Was Your Age. Basically, I've taken the, the, uh, the knowledge that I have now as a man in his 50s and said, now, if I'd known all this when I was 10 my life would have been different. And it wouldn't have because I wouldn't have gotten fat. I wouldn't have developed the boy boobs. I probably would have had bigger muscles uh, and probably would have dated more pretty girls. Um, But of course, I ended up marrying an awesome girl. But it's basically just taking what we know about how diet affects health, especially the difference between real food and processed food, and explaining it to kids in a fun, cartoony, semi-comical way. That's so great. Uh, my kids need that badly. Yeah. And everybody's, don't they? Well, and it's, uh, it's funny. I've mentioned this to a couple of uh, doctors like Dr. Westman, for example, told him about it. And I, I believe it was Dr. Westman who said, great, if you can explain it at the kid level, there are some doctors out there who will finally understand it. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. <laughs> So it's not it's not strictly for kids. I sincerely hope adults find it amusing. But uh, one of the real pleasant surprises after Fathead went to Netflix and found a really big audience was the number of parents who told me that their kids really liked it, which surprised me. But I guess, you know, if you make things kind of fun and entertaining, 
kids will pay attention. And boy, we've got to get them paying attention oh to how diet affects their health. Uh, so, yeah, maybe maybe if you come to uh, Keto Fest next year, we could do a showing. I think that would be awesome. All right. Well, Tom Naughton, thank you so much for joining us and for making the movie and continuing to be a, a great voice for the low-carb, high-fat movement. Uh, your blog is spectacular. Your posts are hilarious and sad and informative all at the same time. Thanks very much. I appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. All right. Wow, that conversation with Tom made me hungry for a Big Mac, let me tell you. Yeah, I could, I could actually, I could murder a, big, a fathead pizza about now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's a, it's not a fathead pizza, according to Tom. It's, it's a uh, Eric's head pizza. Eric's isn't it? head pizza. Yeah. Well, let's talk about food. It's time for recipes. 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 <laughs> recipes. recipes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, we're actually not going to talk about food this time, are we? We're talking about drinks. No, we're both going to talk about drinks. I'm going to talk about the drink that I drink during my fasts. Uh, it's my Keto Aid, and I also drink it when I'm riding on the bike when I'm doing my 100k bike ride. Um, and it's similar to Gatorade, but of course no sugar. And it's very easy to make. I start off with uh, seltzer uh, or soda water in Australia, and I've got a soda stream, so it's very easy to make make that. Just uh, fill a litre bottle up with water and uh, put it in the soda stream, and it comes out. Carbonated. Carbonated. And to that, I add five grams of potassium citrate powder. And as soon as that powder goes in the carbonated water, of course, volcano. Fizz. (laughs) Fizz. Uh, So it cuts a little bit of the fizz down. Then I I also (laughs) add two teaspoons of light salt. Now, light salt is a combination of sodium chloride and potassium chloride in a 50-50 mix. So, um, So basically what I'm doing is I'm creating an electrolyte replenishment. Yeah. And in, in water. And, uh, to that, I squirt a little bit of, uh, sugar free sweetener. And that's my keto aid. And I, I will have that sitting on my desk when I'm working, when I'm fasting. Sometimes I find when I have a craving for savory food, I'll try just drink some keto aid. And the salt is, was what I was really craving. Yeah. Interesting. I'm craving some savory food, but what I'm really, my body's really saying is get me some, something salty. So, so that's my recipe. Yeah, that's a great one. I also have a keto aid. We 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 all seem to have some version of this because we need the electrolytes mm. when fasting. But I find that not fasting is a good time to drink it as well, just because it's so satisfying and you know getting those electrolytes is really important. Yeah. What I do with my keto aid is I make a combination of um, sweetener that is my sweetener is xylitol, and I sort of melt mm. that down and dissolve it in water. And then I add some apple cider vinegar. I add the mm-hmm. light salt that you do. And I also yeah. add a little magnesium citrate, which they sell as a laxative solution. Okay. But the dosage for that is like half a bottle. It's crazy. Wow. I, I, I just got to find some of that because that sounds uh, – I am lacking magnesium in, in that drink. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I just put a couple of tablespoons of that. Now, this is my concentrate, right? And I yeah. also put some apple cider vinegar and I put – some grape flavor, which I will link to. I buy this grape flavoring and it's, mm. of course, tastes like fake grape. You know, it's like grape yeah. soda grape, but I kind of yeah. just like having that little splash of fruitiness in there. Mm. And I mix all of that up and I put it in the fridge. And anytime I want one of these, I just pull out a glass, maybe a 
tablespoon or two of that and mix it all up and uh, it's yummy. Nice. But that's not actually my recipe. No, really? So do you remember back at the beginning of the show, I was talking about wine and how I'm now suspecting wine as being a little bit evil in terms of keeping my uh, insulin high. I just got my insulin measured and it went up. It's 17.8. And you were 14 before, weren't you? Yeah, I was 14 before. And I, and I was 14 before I started, you know, drinking wine pretty much daily. And I don't know that that's it, but I just have a hunch, you know, so I'm testing it. I'm cutting out wine for a while. So do you reckon it's the alcohol or the sugar? I think it's the sugar. I mean, alcohol is just a pausing of ketosis and it lowers blood sugar by itself. But it, mm. but it's the, you know, the 3.8 grams of carbs per glass of wine. Maybe I pour a bigger glass than most people. Maybe mm. I have more than I probably should. But, you know, if you think about it, that's 16, 18 grams of carbs just sure. at the end of the day that probably aren't doing me any good. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I've created a new cocktail. Okay. This and this cocktail is seltzer water which, Mm. you know, is club soda, or I use a flavored seltzer. Okay. Yep. So it's got a little little fruit flavor to it. And I add a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar. And we're going to do a whole show on apple cider vinegar, I think, because Mm. there's there's something to this. And I'm not going to go into it here. Um, We don't know if the science was funded by the apple cider vinegar people or not, but acetic acid, which is the main ingredient the active yeah. ingredient in apple cider vinegar and in all vinegars is you were saying it's it's a short chain fatty acid. It's fat. It is. It is. Uh, not a lot of people know this, but it's a carboxylic acid, just like butyric acid and lauric acid. It's, it's a saturated mm. fat. <laughs> Interesting. I don't think of saturated fat when I think of uh, apple cider vinegar, but it yeah. but it does tend to have this effect on people. It uh, lowers. Hunger and insulin sure. and blood sugar. It's, a, it's, a, it's energy. So, you know, if it, and it, it, because it's a short chain fatty acid, it goes straight from the gut, straight to your liver, straight to be processed into ketones. So, mm. you know, or straight to be processed for energy uh, of which some may, may spill into ketones. So right. it's, it's awesome. And so I have the apple cider vinegar and then I just pour a shot of whatever. I was using um, Angel's Envy Rye, which has this wonderful – Mapley, caramely flavor mm. to it. That's just really good and, and fit really well with it. But uh, I ran out of that, so I'm just using uh, bourbon or some rum or whatever I can find. Yeah, maybe you know vodka would be sort of the purest, cleanest form, I suppose. But uh, who knows? Need ethanol, I, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, just want to just pour Moonshine. some gasoline in there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, and I am also cutting that down to you know one or two of those in the evening Mm. and uh i've done this for a few days and it seems to be working i'm a lot less hungry i mean i never was really really hungry but i'm less peckish Mm. and uh i you know the weight's coming off so i'm nice hopeful that it will continue and you have some to donate so that's awesome yes that's right (laughs) (laughs) all right richard that's a show a good show. We'd like to thank Tom Naughton for stopping by and fattening our heads. Absolutely. Heard you say you're due for a little. 
Yeah, I'd forgotten about the whole apple cider vinegar is actually a short-chain fatty acid. A well, vinegar it, is. It was that the episode, right? Yeah. yeah. That's where we discovered yeah, that surprises it. people. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. So uh, it reminded me that I need, uh, I do use apple cider vinegar when I make mayonnaise, avocado oil mayo, yeah. but yeah. just yeah. reminds me I got to get some more of that in my diet. Yeah. It well, just goes to show you what kind of rocket fuel these short chain fatty acids are. I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You take a swig of apple cider vinegar, you know you've eaten some fuel. Yeah, you do. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. We hope you get as much out of this information as we do in putting it together. And, you know, Two Keto Dudes doesn't take ad revenue. We have no benefactors with hidden agendas. That's right. It's listeners like you who keep our lights on. And there are a few ways you can support us, all of which are listed on our website at support.2keto.com. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Dudes.